Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 20, verses 13 to 16. This is the word of God. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning in your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would just open our ears, open our hearts, help us to hear and take in what you have for us in your word today. In your name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Now, Christmas in the Smelker household, yes, I know, it's only September. It's a little ways away, but Christmas will be here before you know it. As I've been told a hundred times by my father-in-law, it comes too quickly every year. Christmas in the Smelker household is very interesting. We wake up in the morning, and typically the kids are up. That's changed over the last couple of years. Now we wake the kids up. But the kids are up. They need to put all the presents in piles so we know whose presents are whose, and we open one present at a time. Now, at the time when we first started doing this, we grew up doing this, and this was a great way to do things, a great tradition. We all have our piles, everybody's excited, but as my kids got a little older, they noticed how big the piles were for each kid. It doesn't matter what's in that pile, yours may cost a lot more, it's the number of gifts in the pile that matter. So before we ever opened presents, many times there were tears. Of, I only got one present, Dad, don't you love me this year? And... Of course, being the patient, gracious father that I am, I say, you deserve coal this year. Be glad you got anything in that pile. But they would cry and say, Dad, I deserve something more. Why don't I get what I deserve this year, Dad? I want gifts like them. Look, he gets bubble gum, socks, all this other stuff, and all I got was this laptop. So they're going, all right, whatever. We think we want what we deserve. Another one is bedtime at our household. The older kids get to stay up a little bit later. And the younger kids, of course, think that it is their right to stay up just as late. So every night for my youngest two, it's the same exact fight. Caden and Logan are staying up till 11 o'clock. Why can't I stay up till 11 o'clock, Dad? It's only 8.30. It's 9 o'clock. I go, well, I'm going to bed. Well, you're old, Dad. I don't want to go to bed now. I want to stay up and watch one more show. Why can't we stay up? I deserve, Dad, to stay up longer just like them. We always take account of what we want and what we merit. Very rarely do we understand the grace that's been given to us. This morning we're going to talk about the economy of grace instead of the economy of merit. We're going to walk through this parable And once we're done walking through it, we're going to look at some different perspectives and learn some lessons from the landowner and also from the workers. But let's introduce this story a little. 
Matthew 19, we finished it last week, and yes, before you ask, this is probably the worst chapter break in the entire New Testament. It's been said many times, and I'll say it again, because it's true. Our story actually is a continuation of what Ben taught us last week. Chapter 19 ends with the first shall be last and the last shall be first, and then Jesus dives right into a parable that should go right along with that. So ignore the chapter break, we're still in chapter 19. And what happened in chapter 19? Let me just give you a quick blow-by-blow. We have the kids coming to Jesus. The disciples push them away. He says, no, 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 let the kids come to me. We learn that Jesus is gracious and loving even to the youngest of those. Then we see the rich young ruler come in. Say, Jesus, I've done everything I need to do. And he says, well, all you got to do is sell your possessions. It's real easy. And come follow me. And the rich young ruler, of course, goes away sad because he has so much wealth. Then we have Peter, who I love that he asked this question, because it's a good question. Jesus, I left everything. All the disciples, we left everything. What do we get? Is there something in it for me at the end of the day? And Jesus, in his graciousness, tells him, yes, there is something in it for you. There will be something, but I want to give you this parable. And hence we land at chapter 20 in verse 1. Let me read this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, we've gone over many parables now. And as you know, when we start a parable, we start with the kingdom of heaven is like. So this is not the kingdom of heaven is. This is like. This is similar. This is a way for us to understand a hard truth with an easy story. This hard truth of grace is a very hard truth for us to understand, but it's simply laid out in this story. So the kingdom of heaven is like this master of the house, a landowner, a landholder. I think you've heard some of these terms before because they've been used in many of the parables before. Whether it's the parables of the tares or others, there's many times where we talk about this landowner who represents God. Now, this landowner went to the marketplace to hire laborers for the vineyard. So think of Home Depot and picking somebody up, right, that i got to pick them up for a job. There's a lot of men that will come to the marketplace and they will stay there throughout the day because they don't have a trade, right? Most Jewish or most Israelites were too proud to beg unless they had some type of deformity. So they would go wait in the marketplace to be hired for some type of day labor, right? It may be working in a vineyard, it may be fixing a door, it may be fixing a window, I don't know what it is, but they come and they hang out, and people would come to the marketplace and say, hey, for X, Y, Z, will you come fix this for me or take care of this? Think of handymen, right? That's where you would go. There would be men waiting there. And this was a legitimate profession, right? Many men would do this because not everyone has a trade. So they would go to the marketplace and they'd be there. So the, the house owner or the, the master of the house, the landowner, comes to the marketplace and he looks for some laborers. Verse 2, And after agreeing with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them to his vineyard. So he must have a lot of work to get done. He's hiring multiple laborers. Must have a pretty big vineyard. Multiple laborers, he's hiring, hiring them for a denarius. So denarius think minimum wage. This is how you set income. This is what a Roman soldier would make per day, and it's kind of minimum. It's enough to live on. I can get my meals. I can probably take care of a small family, but I'm not thriving by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a good wage. 
So he sends them into the vineyard, and they go to work. And they agree to this. So remember that, agreeing to work. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyards too, and whatever is right, I'll give you. So they went. So third hour, it's interesting in Jewish culture, it's a 12-hour day, sun up to sundown. Whether that sun up to sundown is actually 12 hours, or it's 6 hours, or it's 13 hours, it's a 12-hour day. They didn't have watches. They didn't have the bricks that Nate was, taking, not Nate was talking about before. They had to measure it on the sun. When the sun is here, that's about 6th hour, 8th hour, 10th hour, and so on. And so that's how they did their day. So the 3rd the hour is probably about 9 a.m. Right? So he gets his first crew at about 6 a.m. He brings them out to the field. He goes back at 9 a.m., sees some more people standing there, says, Hey, guys, you come and work with me as well. So he must have a lot of work that he's coming back to bring more in. Now, where were these men the first time? They were probably there. They were probably sitting there. He just didn't hire them the first time, right? But this time he comes in the marketplace, finds all the people in the marketplace, and takes them with him. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. But he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Noon, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, he goes back and gets more workers. Now it's interesting, something to think about here. These men weren't there after the third hour. He pulled all the workers that were left in the marketplace, which means these are men that slept in, that got a late start to their day. Who knows what they were doing? Maybe there's a legitimate reason. Maybe they had a dentist appointment. I don't know. But these men hadn't been hired because for some reason they weren't available at the marketplace. Why that is, we don't know. But in a shame-based culture, if you show up late, guess what? You're not getting a job because you're not worth it. But this landowner came over and over and over again and kept bringing the workers in. He said, it doesn't matter. Come on in. Let's go. Let's go. Can you imagine these guys at 5 o'clock? Right? There's one hour of work left, and he says, no, I'll hire you. Come on, let's go. Let's go to the vineyard. Can you imagine the guys, regardless of what they get paid in a minute, when these guys walk in at 5 o'clock and they go to work? It's funny. We've been moving. And when we moved out of our old house, we work really hard to move, right? Parents work all day. And my sons walk in at about 4 or 5 o'clock. Dad, we're ready to help now. And you go, where have you been all day? This is ridiculous. You want to come in and do three things and think you help move? Well, that's exactly what they're doing, right? They're coming in at 5 o'clock just in time to clean up what all the others have done. And they work. Now, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, up to the first. Now, he lines up his workers, again, a very interesting way. The last is in front, the first is in back. Now, when I look at this story, I say, God, you could have avoided the whole problem if we would have paid the first people first. None of this would have happened, but then again, the parable wouldn't have had much meaning either. So he lines them up in this way, for a very important reason. 
And we're going to see that reason in just a minute. But remember this. The ones that came at 5 o'clock are in the front of the line. They're going to get paid first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. A denarius. Now, if I'm one of the first workers, I see that and I go, it's payday, baby. One hour they're getting a denarius, I'm getting 12 denarius at least. I worked hard. I am the man. Think of these guys that came in at 5 o'clock, or 5 o'clock, yeah, 5 p.m. They say, wow, I worked one hour and I get a full day's wage? Can you imagine this? This is unheard of that a landowner would depart with that much money to pay somebody working one hour an entire denarius. But of course, I'm more like the first workers that think about, I worked all day, I deserve more. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, just like me. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. I have to say, all of us would do this. If you can tell me you wouldn't do this, I want to shake your hand because I don't know anybody that wouldn't do this. Imagine this right now outside. 90, 100 degrees, hot, scorching heat, back-breaking work in a vineyard. You work really hard. Somebody comes in last minute and they're made your equal instantly. Don't we hate that? There's something in this that says that's not right. But these workers take it a whole different level. They start grumbling and complaining to the master of the house, the one that's paying in their wage. What are you doing? We did all the work all day long, and this isn't fair. Give me what I deserve. Well, let's see what the master says. He replied, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius a day? Take what belongs to you and go. Literally means get out. I chose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I chose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge me my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Now it's interesting. The owner replied to one of them. There's multiple, multiple laborers. But he only replied to one, pulled him aside and said, friend, I'm only doing what we agreed to. What's the matter with this? Why are you so angry? Why are you coming after me for doing what is every bit in my right? Something you actually agreed to. You should have thought through first, right? Maybe wait to find out how much wages you want at the end of the day. When you see the others, but we agreed to this, and I gave you exactly what's yours. And we end with, so the last will be first, and the first last. Meaning your standing on this world doesn't matter. If you have a lot or if you have a little, it doesn't matter. The Lord will weigh you and put him in his own. Now let's learn some lessons from this parable. First, let's talk about the economy of grace versus the economy of merit. We live in a society that is an economy of merit. Do you know what that means? I get what I deserve. 
I work a 40-hour work week, I deserve 40 hours worth of pay. I work at home hard. I deserve something out of that. I deserve a nice home. I raise my children well. I deserve children that follow the Lord when they get older. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve, I put in. Are you guys sensing one word that's in all of this? It's I. Merit-based is about me. Me first. I deserve. The economy of grace is the exact opposite. It's we've been given so much. We've been given. Think of this. Exact opposites. I, given. When you're given something, do you deserve anything? No. You deserve nothing. It's a gift. It's just given to you. That's hard for us to understand. We want to deserve and feel like we deserve things. But the economy of grace says we don't. Let's talk about the actors and let's look at these lessons then. The landowner is God. The workers are people. The foreman is Jesus Christ. And a denarius represents eternal life, what we will be given. Let's start with learning from the workers. Let's look at our first point. Some are called at different times. Now, if you notice, there's multiple different times people are called throughout the parable. Some of us are called very young, and we will have a long life for the Lord. I'm in this boat. I was saved when I was very young. I didn't come in later in life. I learned a lot of what I know when I was young, and I stayed with it. Now, there are some pitfalls. We're going to work through the scorching heat if you were like me and you were saved young, which means there's going to be a lot of suffering and there's going to be a lot of hardships. Will you stay with the work? There's going to be a lot of ups and downs. There's going to be a lot of trials. There's going to be a lot of things that weigh us down that want to take us away from the Lord, for this is a long time in the Lord. Are you pressing on and looking to Him? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For those that were saved young, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. If you sprint and wear yourself out, if you burn yourself out, you're going to be of no use. This is a long marathon. And how do we run this marathon in the right way? We forget everything else. We drop everything else, everything that cleans us, everything that slows us down, and we look directly at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And we run for him. Some of us are called later in life. Some of us are called in college. Maybe you're called after college. Maybe you're called late. Um, Some of us are called, and in that calling, it looks very different than when you're called young. You bring a lot of baggage into your relationship with the Lord. You bring a lot of sin and a lot of bad motives into your relationship with the Lord. So you need to work those things through with the Lord differently than if you've been called young. 
Romans 6.19 says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. This is a harder job in a lot of ways when we're saved later in life. We need to change the way we act. We need to change our lifestyle to adjust to the Lord and what his things are. But there's one great benefit you get from that. The grace is all the much sweeter because you know what sin is like. You've lived in it, so you have more grace. Last one is some are called on the deathbed. This is the 11th hour. This is the deathbed confession. This is, I go and I pray to the Lord and I am saved right before my last breath. Now, I've had many friends that I've known over the years that say they want to love the Lord, but not yet. It's not time yet. I'm enjoying life. I enjoy partying. I enjoy going out. I enjoy doing this. I enjoy doing that. When I become a Christian, I'm going to have responsibilities that I don't want right now. I'm going to wait. Right? I'm going to wait. We've heard many people like this. All of us know people like this. Relatively good people, but I'm going to wait. I'll do it later. It's too much. I'm going to wait till maybe my deathbed. But I want to tell you, don't wait. Don't wait until tomorrow. Luke 12 says, for the rich fool And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. If you're waiting for a deathbed confession, don't wait. Now is your time. We're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised to get home today from church. Come to the Lord now. He's calling. Accept that. Look to Him. Confess. Now, we're all called at different times, but we are all called to the same job. We're all called to go out to the vineyard and work for the Lord. Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We're all called to the same job, but it's going to look different because we're going to do it in different ways. We've all been given grace for Christ's gift to do different things. When Nate comes up here and sings, I say, thank God for Nate because I don't want to do that. I can't do that. You guys would laugh at me the whole time, right? When I look and I see Brian administering, I say, thank God for Brian and doing all of that work behind the scenes because I would be so angry at so many people. I don't have the patience to do that. 
I look at all these different people, and we're given different roles due to our calling. But guess what? It's the same job. Whether we're singing or we're administering or whatever it is we're doing it, we're doing it for the glory of God because that's what it's for. We go out and we call others to the Lord and we give him glory through every one of our actions. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Never underestimate our ability to turn God's generous grace into our sin. And I just skipped a page, but that's right. Never underestimate our ability to turn sin, turn God's grace into sin. We see someone else's gifting. We see someone else and what they're doing, and we get sinful. Nate's up here singing, and I say, man, instead of thank God for Nate, I said, wow, I want that gift. How come he got that gift? That's not fair. How come that guy looks so good when he's up there? How come he's so handsome and I'm bald? That's not fair. Hey, look at that guy. How come he can work so hard and do such a good job at it? I do that same job. It takes me 10 hours and it looks terrible. That's not fair. And I turn God's grace into sin. It's interesting. We also judge people for the bad. Not just the good. Nate talked about divorce a couple weeks ago. And we judge people if they've been divorced. We judge them unfairly a lot of the time. If someone is going through sin, if someone is sick, if someone doesn't look right, we judge them based on that also. Saying, hey, I was giving God's grace. You didn't deserve it, so there must be something wrong with you. So this goes both good and bad. That we have the same job, the same calling, but we judge people based upon what we believe the grace given to them is. And we shouldn't. We should be happy for those who have been blessed more, and we should help those who have not. Because we don't know why God is putting them through that situation. It's by His grace He's doing it. Who are we to question God? I think of Peter, he said... Lord, what about this man? In John 21, pointing at John, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Those are great words for all of us to live by. Follow Christ. Forget what everyone else is doing. Follow Christ. Don't worry about it. Follow Christ. Set your sights on him. We are given eternal life instead of what we're owed. This is the biggest lesson we get from these workers. The wages of sin is what? It's death. It's death. There's only one thing you deserve from God. Do you understand this? When you understand this, the economy of grace comes into perfect focus. You only deserve one thing. Period. Death. Nothing else. R.C. Sproul says this, If we were to try to list everything God owes us, it would be the easiest task we could ever be assigned. One we can complete in record time. The truth is, he owes us nothing except his wrath as a punishment for our sins. We deserve nothing. 
But, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Doesn't that put everything in perspective? Does it matter what I really do as long as I'm following the Lord? He gave everything for me. Why do I worry about what's been given to others? Why don't I love the gift given to me so much that I can just follow him? Let's look at some lessons that we learned from the landholder. Now, I've read this parable many times over the years. And it's taken me a very long time to appreciate the perspective of the landholder here. I really want to be with the workers. And I really want to be with those workers that complain. For some reason, they really speak to me to say, hey, I want what I deserve and I want it now. Give me something special. But the landowner in this story is the key individual. He is our key actor because he gives all of the grace. He has grace to call people to him and be glad of who he calls. A lot of the time we wonder, why does God call this person versus that person? Why did God call this person off the street into his family when he didn't call my family member? Why does God do this? Why does God do that? We question God and say, God, this isn't fair. Why are you calling different people? When what we should be saying is, God, why did you call me? Your grace is sufficient. Thank you. Who are we, oh man, to answer God and question him? It's not our place to question God. It's not our place to wonder why, who he calls, or to even try to figure it out. It's our job to follow the Lord and focus on him. Be glad that he has the grace to call us in the first place. Second, he is generous beyond what we can comprehend. He saved us from death. Death, eternal death, eternal hell. And guess what? He doesn't stop there. He keeps giving. Isn't that amazing? He gave his son for us to be alive, and he doesn't stop there. He gives us everything we could ever want. Romans 8, 23 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He gives us everything. Can we understand this? Can we understand the depth of love? Now, for a long time, I was a developer. I was an individual contributor, as it's called, which means I reported to somebody, had nobody reporting them to me. And as an individual contributor, I'm very much like the workers in the vineyard. I work task by task. I expect to get paid for what I do, and that's it. When the night's done, I go away. I don't need to care about anybody else. As long as I get my stuff done, I'm good, and I just work hard at it. I got moved into management, and I learned a whole lot of lessons that are very hard. Now I have to worry about other people. That's hard. Not only do I need to worry about other people, when I'm paying somebody, I have to worry about company profits. Instead of being that individual contributor that says, give to me, I need now to worry about how am I going to make a profit off this person so that the company can do well too. It's not about me anymore, it's about the company. 
And when we look at this landowner, any good landowner is not going to want to part with an entire day's work wage for one hour's work. No good manager would ever do that because they're for the company. But this landowner graciously gave way more than what they deserve, just like God gives us more than we can possibly comprehend. And it's all because of his love. Ephesians 3, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When we are saved, we're covered. We've been brought into the kingdom. We're now citizens of the kingdom. And that's enough. That's enough. But God doesn't stop there. He goes above and beyond. He gives you gifts to enhance his kingdom, to help others. He gives you gifts and grace to uphold his kingdom and push his kingdom forward. The Lord gives us everything we could possibly need and much, much more. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. When we truly understand this term, we understand that God's grace is enough for everything. We are programmed to win. We are programmed to do first place. We are programmed to get something for me. It's all about me. And if you don't believe that, pick up your phone, watch TV, read the paper. It's all about me and my life and my journey and respect me because it's all about what I deserve. I deserve to do it my way, period. That's how we are trained but when we understand the first shall be last and the last shall be first, we understand that we are all under God's grace and it doesn't matter. We truly just follow him. Can you rest in that promise? Can you rest in his grace? Can you be content with that? I want to challenge you in this because as I've prepared for this, it's a hard thing for me to say this about myself. Can I rest just in his grace? Can I forget about those around me? Can I forget about keeping track of what I'm owed? And can I purely focus on God and let him worry about it? Think about that. That's hard. Paul says in Philippians 3, Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. 
Paul forgets what's behind him. He doesn't say, God, when I get to heaven, this has happened to me, that's happened to me, you owe me for this one, you owe me for that one, oh yeah, I get an extra bathroom for that one, right? He doesn't go up and say those things. He says, I forget everything that's happened because it only matters about tomorrow and what I can do for you, Lord. It only matters about tomorrow. I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to follow you with every single grain in my body because you were God and you bought me. You made me your own when you didn't have to. I pray that all of us press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Please stand with me as we pray. Father, we just come before you and Lord, we just can't help but be in awe of you and the grace that you have. That you would send your one and only perfect son to this earth that you would put him through a human life, that you would put him through death on a cross to give us a way out of hell. But Lord, you don't stop there. You give us a glorious hope that one day we will live with you for eternity in heaven. We will be with you. We will see you. There will be no pain. There will be no suffering. Just you. I pray, Lord, as we look toward that calling and that hope and we look back on the grace you've given us, that you would allow us to set aside our hindrances, set aside our weights, set aside our judgment, set aside everything that stops us from following you, Lord. Drop it all. Focus on you. And run the race with endurance. In your name I pray. Amen.